on you and you love on us and to love on each other, and Lord, to pray for each other, and to fellowship with one another. We are so grateful for the church, the body, the body of Christ, that we have the privilege and honor and blessing of coming together, Lord, to fellowship and to hear you speak to our hearts that we might be changed today, Lord Jesus, that we might leave this place different than when we walked in. We thank you, we praise you, we glorify you. I decrease that you would increase. I am to myself of myself, so fill me with yourself that everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. We praise in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Jude chapter one. There's only one chapter, verses 24 and 25 is today's text. This is part eight and the last part of this series, Fight for the truth. Everyone say that. Fight for the truth. Now, before we dive into the text, as always, I want to do a quick review from last week's text, which was verses 22 and 23. And, and you might remember this that the text, uh, in the text, Jude tells us what we are to do with those who are lost, uh, those who have been influenced, affected, uh, duped by false teachers, by apostates, and that as Christians, we must have compassion on them and pity for their unsaved condition. That we, as the church, say the church, have an obligation to share the gospel. That we, as the church, have an obligation to reach the lost. And what's described in the text, you might remember this from last week, is a spirit-led, effective witnessing that is able to, to determine exactly what needs to be communicated in any given situation. Now remember, there are three groups, or we can say three categories of people that are described in the text from last week. And this is referring to three separate groups of sinners who need to hear the truth, who need to hear the gospel. I gave you three points last week. You might remember this, right? Point number one of last week was show mercy. Say that. In this category, this group of people are those who are, they're doubting. Say doubting. They're simply, they simply don't know what uh, they want to believe. They're not sure what to believe. And I want you to remember, friends, that these are people who are not anti-Christ. They're not anti-gospel. These are just people who are confused. They're, they're doubting. They're not sure what the truth is. And Jude is saying that we as a church need to have mercy, say mercy, mercy on those who doubt. Okay, we don't write them off. Okay, we don't write them off because they haven't made a commitment to Jesus. We don't antagonize them. We don't criticize them. We evangelize them. Can I get an amen? And what these doubters ultimately need is for us to be a display through of what we do and what we say of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the mercy that they need to see in our lives. And so as believers who experience and also enjoy the blessings of mercy, we are required, right, to show mercy, right? We have it, but we also got to show it. And showing them mercy, showing them compassion will make the Jesus that you and I proclaim that much more attractive. And hopefully, friends, that will move them to a place of belief in Jesus Christ. So point number one last week was show mercy. Point number two, you might remember this, is use boldness. <coughs> Excuse me, say use boldness. So with others, you are merciful, right? With others, you are compassionate. But with others, you have to be confronting. Deal quickly with those who are in danger. In this group, 
This category of people are those whose lives are in the opposite direction of Jesus Christ. It could be that they're in a different religion or they're just living their lives without any regard for Jesus, right? They don't care about Jesus. Uh, they, they don't walk in the ways of Jesus. Obviously, they're, they're pursuing things that are opposite of Jesus. Jesus is nowhere in their lives. Are you guys with me? And Jude says regarding this group or this category of people, what? To do what? To snatch them from the fire and save them, right? That's what the text says, to snatch them from the fire and save them. In other words, pulling, snatching them out of the fire means saving them from the judgment of hell's fire to which they would be liable if not saved. And you see, some people need a firm hand, man. Some folks need a firm hand and hard words. Some people can profit from a gentle counseling, a gentle word, while others require a confrontation or action of some sort to pull them out of the fire. Now, Jude's not saying that we save them. Okay, we can't save anybody. Are you guys with me? Jesus is the one who does the saving. He's the primary cause of salvation. We're just ministers of salvation. We just partner with him. We are simply the tools that he uses to bring others into his kingdom. So he says, show mercy, use boldness. And point number three of last week was use caution. Say that. Use caution. And this group of or category of people are those whose lives have involved them with particular sins that for you will create a possible temptation towards sin. And what Jude says about this, he says this, to others show mercy, yes, show mercy to these people, but make sure it's mixed with fear. Say that. Mixed with fear is admonishing Christians, listen now, to exercise care when dealing with defiled people, lest they fall into the same temptation and become defiled themselves. We've got to be very careful. Are you guys with me? Now, as we witness to them, we are to show them mercy, as, as Jude says, but that mercy needs to be mixed with fear, with caution. We need to be very, very careful as Christians, as we witness to the lost, not to fall into the quicksand of compromise when witnessing and reaching out to them. Got it? And Jude then says, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. So we need to hate the sin, hate the sin, right? The garments that are destroying the person, but not the person. Got it? Not the person. And this is kind of like the expression, as I said last week, right? Love the sinner, but hate the sin. And yes, love the sinner, but there's a caution, right? For us Christians, there's a caution. Be careful. Hate the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Don't hate the sinner. This now brings us to today's text. And the title of my message today is, He is Able. Everyone say that. And today's text is a doxology. Say that. And some of you know what that is. Some of you don't know what that is. The word doxology, doxology comes from two Greek words, Doxa, which means praise or glory. Say doxa. It means praise or glory. And logos, which means word. Got it? Doxology, praise or glory. So it's a praise word. It's a word of praise, a word of giving God glory. And we can even call it a short hymn of praise. Now, one theologian said that this doxology in the book of Jude is universally recognized, he says this, as one of the fullest and most beautiful doxologies in all of the Bible. 
Now, if you have read and if you have studied the book of Psalms, uh, then you'll know that it's a book of praise, right? The book of Psalms is a book of praise. It's, it's 150 chapters long. And of those 150 chapters, friends, five of them, say five, say five, five of them end with a doxology. It's found in Psalm chapter 41, chapter 41, chapter 72, chapter 89, chapter 106, and chapter 150. 41, 72, 89, 106, and 150. In the New Testament, in the New Testament, there are 21, say 21, doxologies. So Jude's conclusion of his letter here in the book of Jude is a doxology, listen now, reminding us, God's people, okay, the church of God's care and of our eternal destiny, listen now, and acknowledging His, say His, His eternal greatness. Got it? You ready? Say yes. Three points. Number one is this. He preserves us. Say that. He preserves us. Someone should say amen to that. And I want you to look at verse 24a, the first part of verse 24. To him who is able to keep you from falling slash stumbling. Now I want you to notice that Jude begins his letter and ends his letter in the same way. Go back to verse 1. Go back to verse 1 of Jude. Because there what Jude does, Jude reveals the condition for all believers, see all believers, and what he does, he identifies them in three different ways. Verse one, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ. The New King James says it like this, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. So as believers, if you're safe, say Amen. As believers, we are called, we are also loved slash sanctified by God the Father, and we are kept, preserved in Jesus Christ. Good place to say amen. So this means that we, listen now, this means that we are carefully watched, that we are carefully protected, that we are carefully preserved. Jesus is our, is our in other words, he's our guardian and protector. And this is one of the great doctrines of the new Testament, and he will keep us and he will help us to finish the race. He will keep us and help us to finish strong. We will, pre- listen, we, are perse- we will persevere because God preserves us. Listen, God is a keeping God. Say that, God is a keeping God. Now if you're saved, say amen. So he has called us to himself. He has set us apart for himself and he will preserve and protect us by himself. Are you with me? Back to the text. Back to the text. To him who is able to keep you from falling. What is God able to do? Come on. He is able to keep you from, keep us from falling. Now the Greek word keep is terio. Say that. Terio. It's a military word. It means to guard. It means to watch over. So the idea here in the text is that God is at his post. Love this, at his post to keep watch over his own. At his post to guard over us. At his post, listen now, to guard over our souls to ensure eternal safety. 
Now notice the text again. Let's go back to the text. To him who is able to keep you. Did you get that? doesn't say we are able to keep ourselves. doesn't say that, right? It says he is able. Who is able? He is able to keep us. We don't keep ourselves any more than we save ourselves. Right? He keeps us. And because he keeps us, he preserves us. Got it? Back to the text. It's all about the text, right? To him who is able to keep you from falling slash stumbling. Got it? He is able, listen now, he is able to keep us from falling slash stumbling in context into apostasy. You got to say, got it. In other words, we can't fall away because he keeps us from becoming an apostate. He keeps us from falling away from the faith. And how does he do it? Well, he saved us, right? He saved us, right? And now because we're saved, we have a permanent faith, I love this, a new heart and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us. Therefore, he is at his post guarding and watching over us. In other words, he hangs on to us. If you're safe, say amen. Those of us who are in Christ, now if you are in Christ, say amen. Now when I say in Christ, I'm talking about those of us who are, get this now, truly saved. Truly saved. Are you guys with me? We will never fall away ultimately from him because God is at his post. He's at his post, guarding, watching over us. He hangs on to us. He won't let you go. Amen? John, write this down. John chapter 10. John 10, verses 28 and 29 says, I give them eternal life. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one, listen now, say no one. No one, including yourself. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, Jesus says, is greater than all. No one, say no one, can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Come on, that's a good place to say amen. Now I want to make sure we understand, we understand what the text is not saying what it doesn't mean. The text to him who is able to keep you from falling. Now follow me here now. It doesn't mean that you will never blow it. Got it? Because we blow it all the time, right? It doesn't mean that you'll never make a mistake or, or never fall down or that you'll never mess up. It's not a guarantee that you'll never have an ethical or a moral failure. What the text what the text is saying and what it means is that every true believer, say true believer, is kept by God. Got it? Kept by God and preserved to the end. True believers are kept. Genuine believers are kept. God has the will and God has the power to preserve us. I want you to write this down. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. 2 Timothy 1.12. And Paul writes this. This is why I am suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed. And this is what he says. And am convinced that he is able to guard, protect, preserve, keep what I have entrusted to him until that day. The great 
priestly blessing in Numbers 6, 24 to 26. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. Got it? Okay, the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Bless you and keep you. So, you guys ready for the lesson? You ready? Here we go. Saved by grace. Saved by grace. Kept by grace. Right? Saved by grace. Say that. Kept by grace. If God has the power to save you, and he did, then he has the power to keep you saved, and he does. Yeah? Now, if you're saved, say amen. Because he saved us, okay, because he saved us, he will sustain us, he will preserve us, he will guard us, he will keep us because he's a keeping God. And we know this kind of God. We know the kind of God that he is, don't we? We know the kind of God that he is. We know, he's, uh, we know about his character. And because we know that, we know that he's a keeping God. Got it? He's a keeping God. So he preserves us. Number two, here we go. He presents us. He not only preserves us, but he also presents us. Look at verse 24b, the second part of verse 24. And to present you. Circle that, highlight that, underline that. And to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. I love that. Don't you love that? And to present you, he's talking about us, friends, before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Now, I want you to notice there's a change here. Okay? I want you to follow me here. There's a change here. The first part of verse 24, the first part of this verse to him who is able to keep you from falling, that's now. That's here. That's here on earth. Got it? Listen, that's Jesus' current ministry. That's his current ministry, preventing us from falling, right, stumbling down here. The second part of this verse, and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, that's in the future. That's in heaven. So that's Jesus' coming ministry. Got it? Coming ministry, presenting us faultless, blameless up there. Got it? So... The first part of verse 24, you have Jesus' current ministry, earth, right now. The second part is Jesus' coming ministry, when we get to be with him forever. Amen? Now, that word present, say present, means to set you, to establish you. It's expressing, expressing, excuse me, expressing confidence in God's power to preserve you to the end and confidence in God's power to present you, to set you, to establish you without fault. Got it? Write this down, 1 Corinthians 1.8. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Paul writes, He will also, listen, he will also keep you firm to the end. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word blameless there could also be translated unaccusable or unchargeable. Got it? You see, when you got saved, when you got saved, friends, God pronounced you as righteous. 
That's justification. Got it? But one day, say one day, he will present you in his presence as faultless. That's glorification. So part of your salvation is justification, but there's another part of your salvation in the future that's called glorification. Are you guys with me so far? Now, if you grew up in church, I did. Some of you guys, most of you guys did here. Then you should know the song, The Solid Rock. The Solid Rock. And I love what verse 4 says. It says this, When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. See, the one who keeps us, the one who keeps us from falling, the the one who keeps us from stumbling will make us new with a resurrected body without sin, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ that one day we might stand before the throne in the presence of God's glory presented before him faultless, blameless, sinless, in a, listen, in a glorified body for all of eternity. Isn't that cool? Isn't that awesome? Notice the text again. And to present you, I want you to get this, and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. I'm going to read it again because I want you to get it. And to present you before his glorious presence, say his, his. Come on, say his. Without fault and with great joy. This is not referring to our joy. The text is not referring to our joy, though we will be joyful and though though we will rejoice in his presence, right? The text is a reference to his joy. His joy. Follow me. The joy that Jude writes about here in the text isn't our, our joy in Jesus' presence. It's Jesus' joy having us in his presence as faultless. Got it? You see, Jesus will have the special joy of presenting his bride, the church, us, right, before the Father's throne. That's his joy. Zephaniah 3.17, write this down. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will rejoice. This is what it says. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. You get that? So the idea in the text is that Jesus will sing over you with joy. And I bet you he has an awesome voice. Yeah? I mean, how awesome, right? How mind-blowing is that he will sing over you with joy. In fact, friends, this is the joy This is the joy, the joy of you and I being in his presence, presented before God the Father as faultless, that he would be so joyful that he would sing over it. It was this joy, this joy that helped Jesus endure the cross. Write this down, Hebrews, I'll prove it to you. Hebrews 12, 2. Hebrews 12, 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That's you and I. We're his joy. You got it? Who 
For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter or finisher of faith. So here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? Here we go. Jesus didn't just save us to rescue us from hell, but also to present us in heaven. Got it? Jesus, let's say it, Jesus didn't just save us to rescue us from hell, but what? But also to what? Present us in heaven. Did you realize if you're saved, say amen. You realize that you and I are trophies of his grace. When he looks upon you, you are the apple of his eye. We are trophies of his grace that brings him joy. Isn't that awesome? So he preserves us. He presents us. Number three, love this. We praise him. We praise him. We praise him. Verse 25. You see the progression in the verses? Okay. He, he, now we. Got it? Say he, he, say we. Got it? Now, if you could memorize any verse in the Bible, it should be this one. Okay? And he says this. After he says everything about how he's going to what? Preserve us, present us. And he says this, to the only, only God and Savior. The King James says it like this, to the only wise God, our Savior. The New American Standard Bible says, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now notice what Jude does. Jude puts the word God next to Savior. Now, we know that Jesus is our Savior, right? If you know that, say amen. I mean, he saves us from sin, right? He saved us from sin. He, he, he regularly is called in the Bible Savior, right? Savior. So he's called. So why does Jude put God next to Savior? Why? Why? To show us that Jesus is God. Got it? And this is Jude's way of equating Savior with God. Savior with God. Jesus, the Savior, is God in human flesh. Let's go back to the text again. To the only God, our Savior. I'm going to read the King James again. To the only wise God, our Savior, New American Standard. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Jude's point is that Jesus is the only one. Say only one. He's the only one that can save you and I from our sins. Got it? And this is where it all begins for us. This is where it all begins for us. Okay, when Jesus becomes our Savior, he saves us from sin, and there's no one else, no one else who can do that. And by the way, did you know that the Bible speaks of salvation three ways? Three ways, past tense, present tense, future tense. Did you know that? Now, it's not like when we get saved that you're kind of saved and then, then you're mostly saved and then you're completely saved. No, 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 it's not saved. I want, you, I want to explain to you, okay? Stay with me now, okay? Just write this down. We are saved. Say that. Write that down say, we are saved. That's past tense. We are saved, okay? We have been saved, listen now, from the penalty of sin. Got it? The moment that you and I, the moment we got saved, the eternal penalty of sin was lifted off to our lives, lifted off 
our lives. That's past tense. Got it? So we are saved, past tense. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. Then, listen, we are being saved. Write that down. Say that. That's present tense. We are being saved. We are being saved from the power of sin. Got it? We have been saved from the penalty of sin. Now we are being saved from the power of sin. Now I want you to get this. The more that you and I follow Jesus Christ, the more you and I are in his word and walking in his ways, hopefully the more we will sin less. Not be sinless, but sin less. Got it? So we are saved, past tense. We've been saved from the penalty sin. We are being saved, right? Present tense, we are being saved from the power of sin. So past tense from the penalty. Present tense from the power of sin. And then the future tense. We will be saved from the presence of sin. Got it? That's future tense. Past tense, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. Present tense, we are being saved from the power of sin. Future tense, we will be saved from the presence of sin. In other words, that day, presence, right? From the presence, that day, we'll be able never to commit a sin again. We will not commit a sin ever because we'll finally be sinless because we'll be in the presence of the living God with our glorified bodies. Can I get an amen? So we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved from the presence of of sin. So he says, to the only God, our Savior. So we are to praise him, say praise him, for being our Savior who saved us. Got it? Who saved us, the only one who can save us, and the only one who can keep us saved. Got it? So he says this, to the only God, our Savior, let's read on, be glory. Say that. So we praise him, for being our Savior who saved us, now we praise Him for His glory. God, say, for His glory. His glory, what it does, it summarizes all His divine attributes in their glorious radiance. Someone said this, said it like this, the glory of God is the outward radiance of the intrinsic worth and beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. Love that. You see, the glory of God, His glory, I want someone to say His glory, is His attributes and perfections all put together and put on display. That's what it is. It's the beauty, say beauty, and greatness, say greatness, of all of His perfections. It's, listen now, the outshining Shekinah glory. It's the outshining of His character, the outshining of His nature, the outshining of His attributes. 2 Thessalonians 1.9, write it down. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 speaks of the glory of his power. Glory of his power. Ephesians 1.6. Ephesians 1.6 says, to the praise of his glorious grace. Don't you love that? The praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now, you see, and I want you to get this. I want you to get this. In one sense, in one sense, God's glory is not what God has. It's not. It's who he is. Say, it's who he is. 
As believers, right, as Christians, we acknowledge and worship and praise Him for the glory, listen now, He already has. Got it? Now, now I understand, you know, technically, well, when we say, give Him glory, you can't give Him any more glory than He has. But we can say that. He already has glory. You can't add to God's glory. But I get it when we say that. I get it. I mean, I understand that, right? But glory is something he already has. He already has it. Someone say he already has it. So to the only God and Savior be glory. Then he says majesty. Say majesty. So we praise him for his majesty, right? In the Greek, the word majesty is megaleotes. Megaleotes. Say that. It means exceedingly, exceeding, excuse me, exceeding greatness. It refers to his status as the king of all kings. It signifies his absolute, I love this, an eternal reign. Majesty. Get this. He's not just simply the king. He's king of kings. He's not just simply Lord. He's Lord of lords. I wrote that song, Full of Glory, many years ago. And one of the verses says, Majesty, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, full of glory. So he says, to the only God and Savior, be glory, majesty. Then he says, power. Your Bibles might refer to it as dominion. Same thing, power or dominion. So we praise him for his power slash dominion. And this speaks of his sovereignty and rule over all things. Got it? His control and power over all of creation. He is over everything. Say that. Come on. Say he is over everything. And this refers to the bounds of his, of his kingdom, which is limitless and endless to the extent, this is the extent of his might to rule and reign over all and in all. You guys got it? You see what Jude is doing here, and I love it what he's doing here. Jude realized none, none, say none, no one could rival God's power. No one can rival God's power. And he had, listen, and Jude had dealt with the influence of these evil men, these false teachers and apostates, right, that were teaching false doctrine. Right? He had, he had dealt with these people in the church, but they could never compare to the power of God. That's Jude's point. You do what you want to do, but you can never compare the power of God. And Judah's making it very clear that because God, because, listen now, because of God's power and because of God's dominion, which reveals his absolute sovereignty and ability to rule as he pleases, because of that, listen now, we should never, say never, fear God being removed from his throne. We should never, say never, fear a day when he is vulnerable or weak. His throne, say his throne, will endure for all of eternity. Not some of eternity, all of eternity. There will never be a time, never, 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 never be a time, listen now, when he depends on anyone or anything for his existence or his provision. 
That being said, every single event in our lives. I want you to get this now, friends. I don't know what you're going through, what you're facing right now, but every single event in our lives, every happy thing and every hurtful thing, every single thing that happens in our lives is ultimately under God's control. He's in control, amen? Okay, therefore, knowing that, I don't know what you're going through, but knowing that, friends, we can rest in him. He has power, dominion over all things, right? I mean, he's the one who will keep us. He's the one who will sustain us. He's the one who protects us. He's the one who guards us. He's the one who guides us. He's the one who empowers us and daily gives you and I the grace to go through what he wants, go through what he's allowed us to go through and accomplish what this needs to be accomplished to follow his plan. The past belongs to him. The present and the future belongs to him. It's his. So why are you so worried? Why are you fretting? Why are you fearing? Why are you forgetting what he said? Are you guys, knowing his power, knowing his dominion, knowing he has power and control over everything of our lives, why are you worried? Why are you fearing? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. He's got something special for you, amen? All right, he's in control, all right? So just rest in him. Rest in him. To the only God and Savior, be glory, majesty, power, slash dominion. And then he says, and authority. We praise him for his authority. All, say all. Not some, not some, not a little bit. All authority belongs to him because what? He's the creator of all things. He has authority over the powers of darkness. He has, listen, authority over Satan and his demons. He's the highest authority. God is the highest authority. He has all authority at all times over everything and everyone. Therefore, he has the right to rule and the right to be obeyed. He has authority. Because he has authority, guess what? He has authority over your life and my life and over everyone's life on this earth. I don't care what they say. He has authority. Amen? And then Jude ends his letter. I wish this, this, this letter wouldn't end. <laughs> then Jude ends his letter with, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now, Forevermore, and he uses the word what? Amen. In other words, what Jude's saying is that he will be praised. He will. Not might. He will be praised for all of eternity. And he says amen. That means so let it be. So be it. Got it? Listen, before, listen, 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 listen. Before time began, Before it began, he was glorious, he was majestic, he had power, dominion, and authority. Right now, he is still glorious, still majestic, 
still has power, still has dominion, and still has authority. A billion years from now, when time is no more, he will still be glorious. He will still be majestic. He will still have power, dominion, and authority. Why? Because he's the eternal God. This is he who has no beginning. He, has, he who has no ending. He's the alpha, right? The Bible says in the omega, the first and the last. He is king of king and what? Come on. Lord of lords. He rules and reigns now and forevermore. Amen. So here's a lesson. Last lesson of the series. You ready? God wins. And because God wins, you and I win. Say, I'm a winner, not a loser. Say, he wins. Come on, church, say, he wins. I win too. Amen? Therefore, knowing that he wins, and he does, and that we win because he wins, therefore, we need to continue to earnestly and vigorously, come on now, defend, stand, contend, and fight for the truth. Amen? Come on, praise them. Give them glory, honor, and praise. Let's all stand.